0: Great to see you. Welcome to the 2.30 service, the start of a new series today, and we're focusing on the four-square gospel. Has anybody heard of the full gospel? Yeah, a few hands. Well, very similar to that is the four-square gospel, both meaning the very same thing. And over the course of the month, we're going to be speaking on the four aspects of the four-square gospel. We're speaking on Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, Jesus the forthcoming king, and Jesus our healer. They are the minimal um, aspects um, that we do not wane on in any way, shape, or form as a Pentecostal movement. As Pentecostals, they are irremovable foundations that we stand on and we preach from in Christ Jesus. Amen? So where did the four-square gospel originate from? Well, back in the early 1900s, we heard of a a, a, a great evangelist called um, Amy McPherson, Amy Semple McPherson. Have we all heard of her? A great evangelist in 1922, she was preaching to about 8,000 people in California, and while she was preaching, she was preaching from Ezekiel um, one chapters, uh, wrong verses four to ten, and it was preaching on the the uh, portion of scripture describing the prophet's vision of the four living creatures with the four faces. And the four faces were uh, constituted of the face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. Amy Ferson explained how the four faces represented the fourfold ministry of Jesus. In the face of a man was beheld that of a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and he was dying on the tree. In the face of a lion she saw, beheld, that of an almighty baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. And in the face of an ox typified the great burden bearer, who himself took our infirmities and carried our sickness, who in his boundless love and divine provision had met every one of our needs." And in the face of the eagle, she saw reflected soul-entrepreneuring visions of the coming king who would come to catch and take away his beloved, the forthcoming king in the face of the eagle. She saw this as a complete and whole gospel for both spirit, soul, and body, a gospel which faces squarely in every direction. Now, she shares these words and her very own experience on that day when she was preaching this word and had that great revelation. She says, as the wonder, the power, the majesty of it enveloped my every being, I stood there still and listened, gripping the pulpit, shaking with the wonder of it all. Then I exclaimed, why, why? It's a four-square Gospel. Instantly the Spirit bore witness and praise rocked the audience. Thus the name Foursquare Gospel came into being. Also, the first four square gospel, every facet of it is described by an emblem. The, the, the emblems are portrayed with for the man a, a cross representing Jesus as our Savior. For the face of the lion that she saw is represented by the emblem of a dove, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. We know when Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit, we saw the picture of the dove coming down on Christ and remain. And the ox represents the cup, is an emblem of a cup. He took the cup for us, that we shall be healed, and signifies our healing. And the soon-coming king is the crown. Now, it's the full gospel, it's holistic. It is strong. It is a rounded gospel where Jesus is the irreducible minimum. Over the next four weeks we'll be looking into each aspect of the four square gospel. But today we're going to start off with starting with focusing on Jesus our savior. The emblem depicted with the cross We know that Emmanuel means God is with us. He is the Alpha and the Omega. That is the Greek alphabet. And Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last. It's saying that what God begins, that he shall complete to the very end. End. And wherever we are in our lives right now, whatever God has begun in you, He will work unto completion. Now, what I want to do this afternoon is, is just zoom out slightly, is zoom out on the Gospels and see it from a holistic perspective, right from the beginning of the Word through to the end of completion. And I just want to take snapshots all the way through the Word and bring it out to see the picture. to see the thumbprint of God and the Holy Spirit speaking of Christ right the way through the Bible. It encourages me no end and builds my faith and strengthens me when I read through the word of God and I just see how intrinsic and how detailed the planning of God before time orchestrated our salvation through Jesus Christ. And I just want to take snapshots and talk us through some elements of that. Jesus as our Savior is imprinted right the way through the Bible. It's perfectly planned and perfectly executed, quite literally. So what God has begun. Well, turn with me briefly to Genesis 3.15. We know the name Jesus is the original Hebrew name. It means God saves. And we know Emmanuel, another name of Jesus, is God with us. God is with us, and he's here to save us. And Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his Heal. You see, the seed of the woman there is the picture of the seed that was to come of Jesus Christ. Some theologians call this verse here the very first gospel. We know the gospel means good news, and this is the first bit of good news. We know that Adam had fallen, and all power and all dominion had been handed over to Satan, our adversary. But straight away there, God rises up. He is the Alpha and Omega, and from the beginning of time, he had already orchestrated a plan for for for, for the world to be saved and for us individually to enter into that salvation. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." We know where Jesus was bruised, where his heel was bruised. That is the picture of the suffering Lord Jesus Christ who bore our sicknesses and disease and died upon the cross for mankind. But even though Satan bruises his heel, heel, he may have won that battle, but we know openly that Jesus won the war. And Jesus would come along and strike him on the head and have the final say and the final victory. It is a complete done deal, the great work of Christ upon that cross. And turn with me to Genesis 7 now. And we're going to have a little look at Noah. And this is in um, Genesis 7. Just overleaf a few pages. I just want to extract a, a picture here of, again of a type and shadow of our saving work that Christ was come to fulfill and the blueprint of the Holy Spirit going on right the way through the Bible. And it says, So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in, and God has commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So the Lord had commanded Noah through the seed of Satan. There was great, from the fall, there was great havoc across the earth and across the world. It had come to a final climax, and God had to intervene to do something. He commanded Noah, we know the story, to build the boat, to build the ark, so that through him, a a generation of Noah, a perfect man, a righteous man, holy before God, would carry the seed for God into a, a future, into a hope without corruption. It wasn't the complete work as yet, because only Jesus could fulfill that. But it was a picture and a type of shadow of what was come. I find it interesting that Noah is a carpenter, and so Jesus is also a carpenter. And they both created vessels and means for salvation. We know that here it says that the Lord shut him in. It didn't say Noah closed the door it said the Lord shut him in and that is a type and a shadow a picture there of when we enter into the safety and the path of escape that God has provided for us in this instance the ark it's God that closes the door it's God that seals our salvation we are fully safe in Christ Jesus we are safe in that ark It's a picture of closure, it's a picture of safety, it's a picture of deliverance for mankind which was to come. It was one door that they were to enter into, one door in that ark. And there's only one door that we can enter into for our salvation. In John 10, 7 it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. You see the ark there just had the one door. And so we also only have one door to enter into for eternal salvation. He goes on to say that he will be saved, strive to enter through the narrow door. Small is the way and narrow the road that leads to life, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. It's not easy to enter in through that narrow door, but it's the only way we've got of escape. And God has offered it all to us to enter in through. You see, God closed that door. The Holy Spirit seals our salvation when we make a decision in our lives to step in through that door that Christ Jesus has provided for us. But we also see here a few more things that we can glean and understand from the picture of Noah and his ark. There's three phases of being saved, or there's three uh, sort of um, words of salvation. There's, there, there are three points of salvation. We, we are saved. When we enter into that ark, we are saved. God has sealed you by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we go on being saved. When we step into that ark, when we step into the fullness of what Christ has purchased for us, By faith, we are righteous. By faith, we are sanctified. By faith, we are redeemed. We are saved. But it's a process. It's a working out of Christ in our lives to enter into the fullness of him. You see, the ark there had to go through the storms of life. They were saved. And salvation, when we give our lives to the cross, it saves us from the judgment but it continues on saving us from the power of sin. We're saved from the judgment, we're saved from sin, but it continues on saving us from the power of sin in our lives. But in due season, we will enter in fully into the rest, and that is one day we will ultimately be fully saved in our glorified bodies when we are back with Christ in heaven. So we're saved going into the ark. God seals that door behind us. We are in Christ Jesus. It's a picture of comfort. It's a picture of safety. It's a picture of us being delivered from the things of this world. And although the storms come and we're saved and we get rocked around at times by times in this world system, in this world system, we continue on Being saved. It's not easy, but we know by faith in Christ Jesus we are saved. There's a difference between us being in Christ and Christ being in us. By faith, when we give our lives to the Lord Jesus, we are positioned in Him, seated at the Father, right hand of the Father in heavenly places. But there's a difference then between Christ being in us. And we need to, it's a process of laying down our lives, of renewing our minds. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We let go of ourselves. We let go of our fleshly tendencies from the seed of Satan, from the sons of disobedience of this age. And we take up and we live from the seed of the salvation of Christ And we renew our minds, and we go from strength to strength, from glory to glory, as he begins to do a great work in and through us. And then we allow his light to shine. So we're saved. It's a process. And ultimately, we're walking on into the ultimate salvation, when the coming king will return, and we'll ultimately be saved. In Corinthians 1.18, this is a scripture that describes our process of salvation. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. See there it says being saved. It is the power of God. It's the process of continually being saved and coming into a place of maturity in Christ Jesus. Less of us and more of him. In Genesis, let's look at Genesis chapter 22, and we see here another shadow of the forthcoming Christ to come, who is coming to liberate us from the wicked world and from the sin. Genesis 22. We know the story of Abraham. He's been commanded by God to go and lay his son, to take his son to a place where he would reveal to him to sacrifice him. God was testing Abraham's obedience. But this, very importantly, is a part of God's master plan for our salvation here. And God is showing us all the type and shadows, and he's building the picture as we go on to ultimately when Christ will come to be with us, to bring that ultimate salvation upon the cross. Isaac as we know, was uniquely born. He was the son of promise. And so Jesus Christ is a son of promise. In Genesis 3.15, there we heard of the seed of the woman. That seed is Christ Jesus. And here, Isaac, again, a type and a shadow of Christ, was the promised son to Abraham. He was a foreshadow of Christ. And the word Moriah, the word Moriah, where God, by the Holy Spirit, was leading Abraham, too, to make this sacrifice to the Lord is actually translated where the Lord provides. See, ultimately, the Lord Jesus was to provide the sacrifice. Do you know, Moriah and Golgotha, Moriah is the mount where Abraham was to, 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 to slay his son or commanded to do so, but Golgotha, was a place of the skulls. That was the actual place of crucifixion for Christ. So we have two mounts there, and they're both in Jerusalem. And they're both um, understood to be positioned very, very closely together. Some archaeologists believe are about 300 meters apart to a minimum of. And here, let's read, let's read, let's read Genesis 12, 22. We're going to read from um, halfway through chapter uh, verse seven, and he said, "Here I am, my son." Then he said, "Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?" They were going up to Mount Moriah to do the to, to do an offering unto the Lord, which was to be Isaac. But Isaac didn't know this at this stage, and he said, "Where is the offering, Lord?" And Abraham said, "My son." God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. We see he said, the Lord will provide. And God did provide. God provided the lamb to be slain for him. And you see there, which always amazes me, he was caught in the thickets. The lamb was caught in the thickets as he pressed through. And that is a picture and a type of shadow of the thickets and the thorns which were placed around God's head, Jesus' head, when he died for us. That is a direct parallel of the lamb caught in the thickets because the other name for the Lord is our lamb, our savior, and then also there when Christ was crucified, they put the thorns on his head. Again, a thumbprint of the Holy Spirit speaking of our Lord Jesus to come. It's interesting as well, that the, the distance between the two mountains. Abraham, from where he was, would have been able to see the Mount Golgotha. And I believe he would have had the full revelation of what he was just going through, was a type and a shadow of what was to come when Christ would return and die upon Golgotha. And he will provide the sacrifice for all of our sins. This was a foreshadow of Christ here, being the Lamb of God for us. Let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah, we can glean a lot of information from as well, of the, of, of the pointing towards Christ, our Savior, right the way through the Gospels. And interesting enough, Isaiah here, it directly linked to the word for salvation. It was 700 years before Christ would eventually come into this earth to lay his life down for us. And let's look at Isaiah 50, verse 5. Isaiah was a great prophet. He spoke of many prophecies of Christ to come, all with extreme Accuracy. And it says, in 50 verse 6, I did not turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. That was 700 years before Christ, and Isaiah there is pointing and seeing what was to come, and we read the fulfilment of that in Matthew 27:7, where Matthew goes on by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, "And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head." and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe of him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. We continue on in Isaiah 53. We see the fulfillment there of 50. And we continue on in 53, and it gives us a great graphic detail of the prophecy of Christ to come. And we're reading from verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs. In the original uh, translation there, it's actually pain. And he carried our sorrows, the original translation there being sickness, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all gone astray from the Lord. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. It's a graphic picture there, 700 years before Christ's death, of what he was to go through. And we know the story and we know that all that fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied there came very accurately to pass. It also when we take a step back and look at the bigger picture, can see Christ's Savior coming into the earth written in the stars. Have all those heard the, the saying where it said, it's written in the stars? Matthew 2.2 2 says, Wise men from the east come from Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. God is orchestrating and he's bringing everything meticulously to pass in the fulfillment of the prophecies of what he was to do in his final redemption for mankind from the fall. John the Baptist also testifies as he saw Jesus coming toward him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. Now, 360 prophecies of Jesus it is, is written out throughout the word of God. And 109 of them, only Christ could have fulfilled himself. You see the seed of the woman that we read of there in Genesis 3, right at the beginning. God spoke of 4,000 years ago and is about to come to pass and come into physical manifestation into the world. It had been spoken of in the things of the spirit, but it was now about to come to fruition. And as it said, that the the, the serpent shall, shall strike his heel, but God shall lay a mighty blow on Satan's head. And Jesus declares himself, John the Baptist has seen Christ coming in the spirit. He says, behold, come the Lamb of God, who is about to take away the sins of the world. And in John 14, 6, he's declaring, here I am. In John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Luke 4, 18, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind." to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Luke twenty-two forty-two 42 says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Christ knew what he was about to go through in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was on his knees praying before the Lord because he knew what he was about to. He was about to take on that cross, on board, all of our sins, past, present, and future. And he was going to be smitten and striped. And he asked for the cup to be removed. But he said, not my will, but your will be done. It was God's will that Christ would come to pave a way of escape for us, that we may be saved and live in the fullness of what he has purchased for us. That we may live in the fullness of the the ark, that we may be safe in there during this time on earth that the waves of life cannot get to us. But then in due season, Christ would return and we'd come to rest and enter into the ultimate rest of our glorified bodies in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is here declaring himself that I am the Son of God. This is my mission, to come and pave a way of escape for you, to take the sins, all of our sins, past, present and future upon me, that you may live. Jesus took the cup for mankind. What he went through in his suffering on the cross, he loved us so much. He knew that he was the only answer. He took our place, and he was a substitute for you and I. All of the sin that is due us, Christ here, took on board. It was God's master plan. Began and put into motion 6,000 years before, 6,000 years ago, 4,000 years before Christ actually was to die upon that cross for us and Jesus went to the cross, he took all the wrath and punishment that was due us and he took it all, the perfect sacrifice, perfect and complete in every aspect, perfect and complete in every way and in every regard, he died that we may ultimately live. It is finished, he declared. And with that, he bowed his head upon the cross and he gave up his spirit. And at that point, the veil of separation between God and man, the veil was torn in two, that whoever would believe in him could have direct access to the Father, to our God. We now may enter freely, into the ark, and into our salvation through him. We know the scripture well, but John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we see there, right from the beginning of Genesis, going through Noah, of the type and shadow of Noah's ark there, and an illustration of there being one door, and Christ being the only door to salvation. We see from Abraham a picture painted, a form of shadow and a type of Christ's crucifixion. God saying, I shall provide the sacrifice. We see the picture of the Lamb of God, that he will provide, that was slain. And we saw Abraham to one day knowing, looking across to Golgotha, that it would be Jesus who was that substitute for us upon that cross and Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah prophesying and speaking meticulous detail the crucifixion and what Christ would go through on us and what would it represent and what we by faith through grace would be able to achieve and enter into when that veil was torn in two so what exactly took place on that cross we're zooming back in now to the actual cross. What is it that Christ exactly did for you and I upon that cross? We know in Hebrews 10:14 it says, For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. There was a divine exchange that took place on the cross, many of which I haven't got time to explain now or to expand and to go into greater detail. But I've got ten key points that describe the great exchange upon that cross for us, what Christ purchased for us and died on that cross for us, that we, by grace, through faith, may enter fully into. One, Jesus was punished that we may be forgiven. He was wounded that we may be healed physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we may be righteous, made righteous with his righteousness. See, we cannot attain righteousness on our own ability. It's only in and through the blood of Christ, through that door, the narrow door, that we can attain full righteousness in Christ Jesus before the Father. Jesus died our death that we might share his life. He died that we may live. Jesus was made a curse that we might receive the full blessing. Jesus endured our poverty that we might share his abundance. Jesus bore our shame that we might share his abundance. And I think that's a big one in the body of Christ for us as believers. The enemy comes to condemn us of all that we've done. But like I said, Christ continues to walk on us and we're continually being saved. Yes, we will stumble. We will fall short. But the blood of Christ covers our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. And when we confess our sins to one another, when we lay them down at the cross of Christ, our Heavenly Father, through the blood of Jesus, looks at his blood, his shed blood, his perfect blood, and he says, forgiven. And he says, you're healed, you're well. There's no shame or condemnation in Christ Jesus. We are the righteousness of Christ. Jesus endured our rejection that we might have acceptance with the Father. Back in the Old Testament, they never knew God as Father. He was all Jehovah. He was Yahweh. He was Jehovah Jireh. He was Jehovah Elohim. He was Jehovah Nissi. He was always God. He was never Father. But through Christ Jesus, we can come and draw near to Him as sons and as daughters. And we can sit on our Father's lap knowing that we're fully redeemed, We're fully sanctified. No matter what we've done in our life, the blood of Jesus is far more powerful. And we can enter into the rest and the fullness of what he purchased through us. And we can come to our Heavenly Father, Abba, Father, without shame, as sons of God. He endured our rejection that we might have acceptance with the Father. And whatever we've faced from our earthly parents or our earthly Father, and we've got a heavenly Father who will fill that void in our life. No matter where we've been rejected, no matter where we've been brushed aside in our lives, Christ Jesus took all that rejection upon him, upon the cross, that we may enter into him. And though we may feel rejected, we have acceptance always in the Father through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was cut off by death that we might have his acceptance with the Father. And finally, our old man was put to death in him that the new man might come to life in us. Our old man. All the things that we did before we came to Christ. All the things that you've done in your life now, even if you're here and you haven't accepted Christ Jesus as your Savior. You have the opportunity that through his blood to enter into complete forgiveness. Complete wholeness. And you'll have a new life. He brings our spirit alive he washes us clean of all sin and he brings us to life to him and he looks upon us completely without blame and shameless and accepted in the beloved. Colossians 1 19-20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to him all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you know one of the greatest things that Christ brings for us? Time and time and time again, I see it. My very own cousin, my second cousin, was in such a bad place in his life. Probably every single one of those things there, of the 10 divine exchanges that I spoke of, he probably had in his life. Rejected by his family, beaten physically, abused, emotionally the shame that he had upon his life the physical sickness that he had on his life and he came to church one day and he heard preach being Christ Christ being preached and he raised his hand and he came forward to give his life to the Lord Jesus he went home that evening On the outward, it appeared nothing had really changed. But he came around my house the next morning. And he said, Chris, last night, I had the nicest, deepest, most peaceful sleep that I have ever had in my entire life. One thing, and that is one of so many examples I hear of the testimonies when people give their life to Christ, the peace, because He's the Prince of Peace, that they receive in Him, knowing that they're secure in that ark, so to speak, knowing that they're safe, the comfort that they feel, the joy that they feel, not always externally, but internally, something changes in one's life. Peace. I don't even want to begin to look into the amount of issues that there are from a lack of peace and the stress and the striving the people of the world have to go through to try and attain their righteousness, to try and strive for something that's missing in their life, a void in their life that only the Holy Spirit and God can bring. And people are perishing something supernatural happens when we give our lives to Christ the peace and the rest that we enter into is undescribable and unattainable only other than through one door the door of salvation the door of Christ narrow is the path that leads to life but broad is the way that leads to destruction and many By it, Christ has done all the work for us. But we must receive it. He's laid it down for us. He said, "I've done it all for you. I've taken everything, every hurt, every pain, every iniquity, everything that you've gone through. I've taken it upon myself, upon that cross. It is finished." It's a complete work. It's a whole work. It's a free gift. But let me tell you, it's not a cheap gift, but it's a free gift. We've had a little bit of understanding there of of what it cost, great men of God, to bring the fulfillment of Christ Jesus. It's easy, but it's not cheap think we've got to come back to a place where we have a full and deeper understanding of what it is Christ has gone through for us. He died for all of mankind that we may live. And are we embracing that free gift? Are we stepping into the fullness of what he has purchased for us? Ephesians 2.2 says this, and you and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Let us stand to our feet this afternoon, Kenston Temple. Let's keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. Let's keep to the forefront of our thoughts and mind all that he's gone through for us upon that cross. And let's just bow our heads right now. Before him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus, our saviour. Emmanuel, God is with us. And Emmanuel is here with us right now. No matter what we've been through, no matter what we've done, the blood of Jesus is powerful. There's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus. The word of God, it comes to cut and divide under spirit, unto soul, unto joint, unto marrow. It works in the most inner parts of our being, a place where no man can go or no hand can go. But the hand of God by the power of the Spirit can reach into places in our lives. I want to give this opportunity this afternoon while every head is bowed and every eye is closed on hearing God's master plan the creator of the heavens and earth what he's put in place before time began through the fall for us to enter into and through his son Jesus Christ what he did upon the cross for us to take away the sins of the world to take away our sins here today and he says even though your sin is as red as scarlet I shall make it as white as wool Jesus is walking with Nehemiah a great religious man of the day and he said Nehemiah says to him Lord what is it I must do To have eternal life. And he said, you must be born again. Romans 10.9 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. It's a done deal. Christ enters our heart and Christ enters our life. And by faith, you are positioned at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. And we go on to work out our salvation to the day of the coming King when He will finally and ultimately take us home. If there's anybody here this afternoon who's not embraced or accepted or taken that free gift that God your Father and Creator has ordained for you In Christ Jesus. I want you to raise your hands right now where you are. Hallelujah. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. I see that hand. Glory to God. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I see that hand. Glory to God. Thank you. Jesus Christ our Savior and as a group of people who you knew the Lord Jesus Christ you gave your life to him you know him as your Savior but the things of the world have pulled you away from the truth of the gospel for the from the bigger picture of what our life and what this world is all about You've begun to go down the path of the sons of disobedience. You, you've begin to, to choose to choose the, the, the wide path. You've strayed from the narrow path that leads to life and you, you've been choosing the wide path that, that is leading you to destruction. And I want to tell you the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. It's already forgiven in Christ Jesus. and you just need to take that opportunity to step out in faith here this afternoon, draw a line in the sand and say, Father forgive me I've wandered away but I thank you for what your son has purchased for me, I thank you for the gospel, the good news and I thank you that today I can enter back in to that narrow path I'm choosing you again Christ Jesus to be the centre of my life if that's speaking to you here this afternoon I want to give you an opportunity to make right with your Lord Jesus and with your heavenly Father. I want you to raise your hand right now wherever you are. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Even though your sin is as red as scarlet, I shall make it as white as snow. Glory to God. Hebrews 12.1 says, Since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let's run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us here today. Each and every one of us, he has a personal journey and a personal gift for you. A personal role in the master plan of mankind to prepare the way for his second coming. With such a great crowd of witnesses who have gone before us and showed us the way, let's take courage here this afternoon and let's keep our eyes fixed on the bigger purpose and bigger plan of what's going on in this age and in our lives. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Just while the worship team come up now and just while they lead us into song I just want us to praise him I want us to glorify his name I want us to thank him for all that he's done I want us to take courage and I want us to keep our eyes to be fixed on the bigger plan the greater plan of what God has got in motion it's good things to come he's a good God it's the gospel of good news. He's Emmanuel, the God that is with us. And he's with us right now. And I want to ask all those who raised their hand to step forward and come down the front here. And you say, why, why do I need to step forward? You know, it's not here to embarrass you, but he says, if you honor, if you deny me in front of man, I will deny you. to step forward in front of everyone today and make that public declaration of Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior. Amen. Glory to God. Let's give him all the praise. Amen. Worship to you.